So just two minutes remaining in the first period of extra time as David Robertson launches the long throw into the box. Van der Aert going to touch, there's Nicholas. It's back to Mason! 2-1 to Aberdeen. Jockey Scott on the track. And the long throw did all the damage. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the By The Minute AFC podcast. My name is Martin Clunas, so delighted to be back again here after what was another great victory for the Dons in Europe. I'm joined once again by podcast regulars. We have Grant Fiskin all the way from Poland. Grant, how are you doing? Not too bad, Martin, thanks. Okay, good. And as always, Richard Hayes here. How are you doing, Richard? I'm okay, thanks, Martin. How are you? I'm brilliant. Doing brilliant. Oh, a good result in Europe always um, brightens the spirits and makes things good. Now, we're going to come to the European game in a minute, though. We've got a lot to talk about, obviously. No, a wonderful win away in Europe for us. We've got a, a tight look forward to against Apollo and Limassol as well. But before that had happened during the week, since we last spoke in the podcast, um, Derek McInnes and Tony Docker had signed an extension to their contracts at Pataudry. I do want to just kind of pick up on a quote that Derek used here. He says, I love working for the club, producing young players and training professionally in a modern facility that is in keeping with the ambitious club we are. Now, we've spoken on this podcast before about maybe eras of teams and you know, they have you, you maybe get three years out of a team. It is absolutely phenomenal to see that the, the manager has bought into what the club are looking to do, isn't it? What was actually quite interesting was uh, reading that Stuart Milne interview yesterday. Not the standout quote necessarily, but the uh, the piece in which he speaks about um, his discussions with Derek McInnes over the summer and uh, before and after and during the uh, approach from Sunderland. Obviously, there's a very, very strong working relationship there. And it was clear that... Um, he was working on Derek on those same themes, you know, that Derek has said in the past that he wants to leave a legacy of trophies, plural here. Now, that's not easy to do. It's, you know, we came very, very close last season to, to winning something. Against the team of the, the quality that Celtic currently possess and the, the financial gap that exists, it's a tough thing to do. So that's why, you know, you've got to maybe look broader, you've got to look at qualifying for the Europa League group stages as maybe being a success, like a trophy. He is still committed to that quote, to that idea of leaving a proper legacy and taking the club into a new era, a new era, with hopefully a shiny new stadium to play in. Certainly with the training facilities, which really we have been lacking for thirty plus years, let alone uh, the duration of uh, Stuart Mill's time at the club. All these things are positive steps forward for the club. In terms of the contract extension, it's a one-year extension. And really, as we saw in the summer, contracts are only worth so much. They only provide you with a, a degree of extra compensation, frankly, if uh, if a move comes in. As we saw with Johnny Hayes and indeed with the uh, Sunderland approach as well. So I still entirely expect him to be away at some point if he continues on this trajectory. And victories like the one on Thursday certainly help continue that forward momentum. I think that raises an interesting point there, and I, I did mention this a couple of weeks, and I don't want this to. Be, I'm not. I'm not. Promise you, I will not allow this to become a regular thing. But it's very telling of the mentality. Whereas someone like Ash Taylor turned down a new deal because he didn't want to be second. It showed a lack of ambition. I felt compared to McInnes, who who Grant 
is is here is here for what would be the medium the medium term at the very least. I would think that once he wants to create something, doesn't he? It's it's, it's obvious that he is being sincere when he says if he's going to be here at the stadium, he's going to be more than happy with that. But I think as Richard says, I think the fact that he does have a good close working relationship with Stuart Milne. Obviously, that's a hugely beneficial thing, but I'd be immensely surprised if in that new contract there's not some kind of agreement that where a specific kind of offer comes up that Milne's not going to stand in his way. And if not, that Milne knows that McInnes is going to be more than happy. He's wanting to leave that legacy you talked about. But yeah, if, if the, a right specific offer comes, I'm, I'd be amazed if there wasn't some kind of agreement that would let him move on. Fingers crossed, obviously, that doesn't happen in, in any time in the near future. I think, in fairness, when the Sunderland uh, offer came in, I think there were two stipulations that, uh, well, when Dave Cormack faced the press that they put forward, which is that they met the compensation requirements, or at least agreed on a compensation fee, and um, that Derek wanted to speak to them. So I, I don't think in any situation where it's a serious offer, the club wouldn't really stand in their way. It's, again, similar to the Johnny Hayes situation. I, I think there has to be a degree of realism about where the club stands. Well, as I mentioned, it certainly was a boost heading into the European game to get news like that. The Dons then headed over, away to Soroke Brijeg, we'll call him. <laughs> I'm still not 100% sure I get it pronounced it correctly. What looked like to be on paper a very difficult tie. They acquitted themselves fairly decently in the first leg, We where there were some changes in the lineup. Jaden Stockley made his first start of the season. Stuart came in as well, replacing Rooney and Tanzi. Now, Richard, there was a slight difference, uh, it obviously going to be a difference in play and tactics due to this. Stockley isn't Adam Rooney. There was a slight difference. So explain, you explain to me, what was the difference in play for us, Richard? Sorry. Well, I wish I could. I wish I could be clear on what our game plan necessarily was for the time that Stockley was on the pitch because I think all too often we just drifted into a set mood that says okay we've got a big guy up front let's try and hit him and if that was the plan and if it was the plan to try and uh, to do something off second balls and then, then Jaden was a disappointment in that he got very very little change out of their centre halves in the air. Maybe some people were suggesting that there's a change in his jumping style since obviously he's had the issues with the red cards last season and maybe that's a factor but uh, if you're going to play a target man I think it almost automatically creates a mentality amongst some of the team that uh, they're going to try and find him early and um, I think it was very noticeable that once he was replaced later on by Nicky Maynard that that's when Ryan Christie really started to feed these smart balls in and really start, we, we got a greater grip of the ball in the second half anyway so, so that plays a part but it was about movement it was about drawing them apart and pulling them apart more when Nicky Maynard come on because I just think subconsciously they thought okay we guy up front we can't just go for plan A yeah, I, I mean, I hinted last week that I would have been uh, mightily disappointed if Stockley did start. And I, I, I've, as we've said, I've always thought that whenever Stockley plays, we are never going to play to our strengths. And there's always going to be that temptation to put the long ball up to him, which, is, which, which takes out the strengths of most of our rest of our attacking players. And as Richard pointed out as well, he barely did win a header. He barely did contribute anything to the game. There was no players close to him. And McInnes said that he wanted to quiet the the home crowd to, to play themselves into the game. And I mean, he, yeah, people could say, well, okay, then Stockley did his job for an hour. The Maynard comes on and opens up the defence. But I I really don't see it like that at all. If there's one slight defence you could have for Stockley, maybe 
it's that you could have him on for his aerial prowess at set pieces and our set pieces in the first half were just horrendous. Just the delivery was shocking in the first half. Looking at the cup final, we said Stockley was put on there to do a job, but I don't think it's a job that Rooney couldn't have done. And personally, I'm always going to be of the opinion that Stockley is a fine player to have as a substitute. If we, if our normal game plan hasn't worked for 70-75 minutes, he's shown before he can come on, he can make an impact that way. As a starter, yeah, I just think it's always going to be a temptation to play the long ball and it does us more harm than good playing him from the start, especially in these bigger games. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was going to make about the fact that the stats really, truly bear this out as well, that he can be he can be an effective impact sub, but not just... Uh, and really change the flow of the games as well. We saw that a few times last season. He's not without his attributes, and he can be effective in the opposition area, aerially. But... Starting him, again, it's not even sometimes a conscious thing. I just think that people think, right, OK, well, there's Jaden, we'll try, we'll try and hit him. But over the course of a season, and uh, certainly as the, the weather gets worse and the pitches get worse, there's definitely a role for Jaden Stockley to play, I think, in the current squad. You mentioned there about set pieces, Grant. It's almost like we've travelled back in time to a year ago um, on this podcast, uh, bemoaning the quality of set-piece delivery. Is it just an early season thing? The guys clearly are working on this in training, but the, in, the, in the first half in particular, the quality of the set-pieces was absolutely appalling, wasn't it? Oh, uh, that corner, when O'Connor took the corner to McLean. Now, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for a bit of creativity at set-pieces, but once you've had three or four and it hasn't worked and you've tested the home goalkeeper in the defence... But to try that 0-0 in a game like that, it's a 1 in 10,000 chance that that's going to end up in the net. I was just like, oh, I couldn't believe it. And I've always been irritated by these kind of free kicks where I think they've started doing this season where one player touches the ball and another puts it in. And so it's just a waste of a player having it there. Early season, possibly you could say that. With the, with the quality of player we have for taking set pieces, there's no real excuse for consistently being as poor as that. And it did improve in the second half, which, which hopefully shows maybe it's just one of those games where there was just a poor first 45 minutes of them, but I put Anthony O'Connor up there with the Harry Canes for um, corner takers. Yeah. That was a very, very strange decision. Yeah, Richard, um, seeing the, the sight of Anthony O'Connor taking a taking a corner kick put me in a tailspin I didn't think I'd come out of it. I'm less concerned about that because it was, at least as Grant says, something inventive. And it did lead to, to a half chance if... Uh, if Kenny McLean had been able to get a better shot off, or even, frankly, if it had taken a lucky ricochet uh, after it hit uh, Andy Considine. Uh, I think about those first half set pieces for me were, um, why is the right back taking them? And again, not a guy who we we would say is a, a set piece specialist. He's he's a very strong player, Shea Logan, for us. But would you have picked him out of the guy uh, as the guy to be able to pinpoint a ball into the box and find, find a red shirt? Clearly, we were. It's something we were. We might have wasted a lot of them last season, but we were towards the the top end of the table in terms of scoring from set pieces, scoring from corners and free kicks last season. So, so it is something we we actually do quite well. Sirokin clearly identified the Aberdeen left hand side as a weakness after the first leg. Um, I thought that Constantine in particular played a little bit smarter, dealt with dealt with the challenge a lot better this time. He was he didn't he didn't seem to be caught out of position too much. Again, something that the that. Derek and Tony clearly looked at and worked on. I mean, I think probably their best player was the guy who was their right winger. It led to being the first half was a little bit scrappy, but I think we—I don't think we ever really looked in much danger, did we, Richard? Uh, scrappy is one word. Yeah, it was. Uh, 
it's going to get forgotten because it was a, it, overall it was a very positive result and and we're through. And you look back, for example, two years ago to the three 0 win in Raika. That's an incredible win, a brilliant overall display. But again, the first twenty five minutes in Raika, we were being torn apart, and we could barely find another red shirt with a pass. We weren't being torn apart by Soroki on Thursday, partly because they were pretty dreadful as well in that first half. It looked like two really poor sides. In the home leg, you know you try and compare European teams to, to Scottish opposition. In the home leg, I thought they were kind of Partick Thistle standard. Quite nice in the ball, comfortable in possession, a bit blunt up front. Um, you know, if you drew 1-1 at home at Park Thistle, you wouldn't be that upset. You'd expect to win, but you'd, you'd write it off. You'd certainly be confident they're going to Fur Hill and winning. Uh, on Thursday night's evidence, I'd definitely have to downgrade them from a top lower top 16 to to uh, bottom end of the Premiership standard because uh, they really didn't show up very well on Thursday night, I thought. And during the course of the first half, again, a bit of revisionism going on from Derek saying that uh, the game plan was to quieten the crowd and to try and retain possession to do that. Well, we did quieten the crowd, but again, that was simply because the game was of such poor, low quality in that first half. Our retention of the ball was particularly bad, I thought. One thing, Grant, is that we we obviously saw a couple of you no know, bookings, um, some pretty heavy challenges in the first half as well. One thing I wanted to ask is: Do Aberdeen need to learn to be a little more cute in brackets with referees in European games? The, the, their number six could have probably been sent off in the first half for some for a couple of pretty poor challenges, and then Ryan Christie goes and goes and gets himself booked for what was a pretty silly first foul. Um, now. We can bemo- we can complain and say that's poor refereeing. Again, cl- the classic football fan thing. I understand that. You know, if we did it first, then we wouldn't be knocking it. But the Aberdeen really need like to learn, perhaps maybe to just to get in- get one in early, because uh, it did seem that you know Christie gets booked. He's then got to watch himself for the rest of the game, whereas their guys had kind of you know been a little bit rough and then just held back for the rest of the half. Well, f- well, firstly, it's just something that's irritated me about Scot- well, Scotland and Scottish teams for years is how we can't wise up to some of this stuff and how we how we just never seem to learn about um, these things that go on in, in European games. However, in this occasion, I thought the referee was pretty good on Thursday because, okay, he did let a few challenges go from Chorich or something who eventually got booked, but Shinny put in a pretty bad tackle early on that he should have been booked for, I thought. And I think Considine was unbelievably fortunate to get away with. Uh, well, I don't think I don't think it was dangerous. It was just reckless. It was just a bit more out of control more than anything. On uh, as far as that that Christie foul goes, it was a booking. I mean, I thought the referee was pretty good. He, he tried to let things go as much as he could. And then coming to the to the kind of cute things in European games, we've got a guy in the coaching staff there, Barry Robson, who's uh, finally one of the Scottish players who who knows how to do this. And look, straight after we scored the first goal, Greg Stewart gets a ball in the face and he's down like he's been poleaxed <laughs> by a massive left hook. Uh, I don't think there was too much wrong with him. They're probably going to sub him anyway. It's just not putting stupid fouls and giving them the opportunity to do this kind of thing. And also, we should be using this kind of thing. I mean, look at Hearts. I know Richard's going to hate me for bringing this up, but Hearts were always <laughs> fantastic about this. They was always the, the scummiest, most horrible part of the game that they were always brilliant at until they, they sold their soul and got Catherall. But I'm not saying we should go completely that far out, but we should take us any opportunity we can to, to just do exactly the same as all these other teams are going to do. And 
And yeah, I mean, watching Scotland and Scottish teams, for, and to be fair, English teams as well, just not be able to cope with this kind of thing is just just baffling how they can't seem to learn. This sort of stuff for me, it's the same as having a, a dodgy ref. I, I always just think you've just got to play well enough to take this sort of stuff out of the equation. And by the end of the match, we didn't completely done that. So as I mentioned earlier, first half overall, I described it as scrappy. It was probably a little bit worse than that. Now, half-time, uh, be honest with me, Richard. How panicked were you? I mean, now, state the obvious. Obviously, we had to score. We didn't do it in the first half. So what were you looking for at half-time? I wasn't worried because we hadn't scored, but I was worried about the quality of the performance. And I was worried that that was three halves of football, which had been at best mediocre from us. So I was a little bit concerned, absolutely, because 45 minutes to get the goal, and we've all seen so many other examples of sort of near-glorious misses from, uh, from Scottish sides in Europe. Uh, and that panic, I have to say, rose considerably after those two misses in a minute from Greg Stewart and Ryan Christie around the hour mark. Uh, at that point, uh, I was really thinking, well, here we go. But at halftime, I knew there was 45 minutes to go. I knew what this team were capable of. I knew that we have goals on our side. I knew that we have good football players with a good manager. So I, I certainly wasn't completely panicking, but I was deeply frustrated at the quality of the first half performance. I mean, I was reading the... The, the by the minute feed as the as the game was going on at half time as well various different opinions quite a few people looking for Stuart taking off a lot of people wanting Stockley taking off How, what was your stance on it? Uh, well, I was fairly much in the Stockley camp as, as I said before I just thought having Rooney or Maynard on there would have been a far better option I was the same as Richards uh, when that two chances in a minute from Stuart and Christie came that's when I thought well, there's just not a goal coming here um, I, I thought Stuart was pretty good again. I think he's still quite not quite there in terms of sharpness, but I think he's going to be a fantastic addition once he does get up to that point. The, we talked about the, t- the tactics earlier of kind of playing ourselves into the game, and it's just risky. I mean, we sh- it showed against Kairat when we lost two goals early on. As Richard said about the Rieka game, we were fortunate to spur- survive that first 25 minutes. And in this game, okay, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Ryan Christie, but Joe Lewis probably the, the match-turning save. You could, on one hand, you could say, OK, if Shiroki scores, in terms of the tie, it doesn't change anything. We still need to score. But it would have just changed the whole complexion of the game. It, it would, they would have been buzzing. They would, the crowd would have been up. But after that save, absolutely phenomenal. It just kind of put them on a little bit of a downer. And you could actually see one thing about... We've talked about the hot conditions. And our team looked fitter. They started to visibly wilt after that. And... We talked about McInnes signing Logan signing, but getting him on a new contract, absolutely superb. To get two hands to a save with Bettle down that close, it was just absolutely superb. Yeah, I think you make an interesting point there. That's the save from Lewis. I mean, we don't need any excuse to wax lyrical about Joe Lewis on here. Uh, but I did feel that they just that, that was the kind of the, the kind of the life was taken out of out of them after that save um, it was and it was a phenomenal save another another one from them it was a good stop it was a sharp stop he gets his hands up quickly I'd have been really disappointed if he let it in it was <laughs> it was above his head let's be you know let's be fair it was it was it was an important save at an important time but I would have been really disappointed if that had gone in from that distance how well he caught it that could have flown past a goalkeeper he's in the perfect position to be able to get his both hands to that that save is particularly impressive, as you'd see most keepers going with one hand with that. Thing. As I say, his hand, his hand speed is really good, and clearly the positioning is part of what makes it 
uh, look more comfortable. And yeah, that all plays into it. But I still would have been disappointed. And it was a tremendous strike, a tremendous technique by Kostanovic to be able to get up and uh, over and keep that on target. So it, there's a lot to like about it, but I still would have been disappointed had, had that gone in. Of course, but we have to remember with our history of goalkeepers in the past 10, 15 years, a goalkeeper in a good position is... Uh, not something to be uh, sniffed at. <laughs> I think. I think to me, there was, there was a point that was even more reassuring from Joe Lewis was just after we got the first goal, Gary McKay Stephen gave away a slightly needless corner kick. Corner comes in, Joe Lewis comes out and claims it without a hint of worry, without a hint of panic. It's just so reassuring to have a guy like that as your uh, as your number one. And for me, that was a, that was probably it wasn't as significant in terms of the the, the match, but uh, for me that that calm reassurance meant a bit more than the, the somewhat save for the cameras a few minutes ago. That that is true, and the thing about that is well, you can see the defenders and our players as well know that there's absolutely no hint that he's not going to come and claim that and drop that ball, and that just makes such a such a massive difference. I do feel that. It's one of those things where the defence know that he's coming. Though you don't need, he doesn't need to shout keeper's ball. He doesn't need to shout his name. He's coming. You know he's coming for it. And we've said before, and it's kind of common sense. You know that feeds through the defence. That gives the defence extra confidence that they know fine their keeper's going to their keeper's going to come, and they're not going to have to bail him out. I mean, over the course of a season, a goalkeeper, any goalkeeper, is going to make mistakes. I mean, it was yeah. this time last year where. Uh, you know, a lot of the banter accounts were uh, having a laugh at him for letting that go in in uh, Maribor. But it's our level to have a guy like this who's come in and had such an impressive first season last year and be able to extend his deal through to 2020 is a tremendous bit of business. Now, we'll talk about the goals now, I think. Um, well, we have to kind of talk about Ryan Christie, really. Two absolutely sensational assists. The first, first one... Uh, the pa- that pass that he just carved open the Soroka defence to allow Stuart in. Richard, what do we have to do to keep this guy at the football club? Well, we tried. We did try. It's clear from what's come out over the uh, the interviews that Derek McInnes has done over the summer that we did make every effort to get him here permanently. And it it doesn't sound like it was wages. It doesn't sound like necessarily a valuation thing. It's just that Celtic didn't want to sell. And they are entirely within their rights to do that. So we should be grateful that he's here for 12 months. Obviously, that means that Celtic don't consider us that much of a threat domestically, which is not the greatest situation to be in. But, you know, I'm afraid that's the reality of, again, the gap between the sides on a financial basis. He looks to be, at the age of just 21, a tremendously rounded talent. I say rounded because, obviously, we had James Madison uh, this time last season. Now, Madison was... uh, a tremendously talented footballer, but certainly I don't think was capable of adding to the team in so many different ways as Ryan Christie is. I was intrigued to see how he'd handle this this season, because coming here, whereas last season he made a very positive contribution in big games, scored in the Scottish Cup semi-final, scored the winner at Ibrox. He had other big contributors to that side in the team, so you had Johnny Hayes and Nam again, obviously. So he he was able to uh, come in and play more of a supporting role. This season, I think the onus is on him to be the star man, and it's a it's a big ask for him to be able to step up to that. I think so. We'll see how he does over the course of the season, but the signs so far are very very promising because that first goal. Let's not just look at the past. Let's look at a little drag back that creates the space for him initially. Uh, just creates just half a second for him just to be able to survey what's going on in front of him. 
Credit to Stewart for peeling off his marker and getting a bit of space as well. But beautiful ball through, fine finish. And then in the second, that's about his, his ability to really be a ball carrier, to really take it forward, to see the space opening him up. And again, credit there to Nicky Maynard, who takes a run and takes some of the centre-halves away and opens up that space to be able to play the ball to, to Gary Mackay-Steven. But the key for both those goals was the weight of the pass. Superb. On what was not didn't look like a particularly easy pitch, superb ability to be able to play just the right amount of weight on those balls. So as you mentioned earlier, Grant, um, you'd said about Soroki retiring. I thought after that first goal, it just absolutely took the wind clean out of their sails. The the second goal was just seemed like it was always going to come after that. And it only, I mean, it only took six minutes after. But uh, once we got one, um, the way we were playing, I thought a second was just inevitable. Well, I wouldn't quite go far as inevitable, but what it did do is it opened up their defence, they had to come out a bit more and that's where the gaps opened up and with having Maynard on, it stretched them. It raises an interesting point about Ryan Christie that now he's been so good in those first two games, you, you kind of have to think that he has to play in that position. He, he has to be the person that we go through and that leaves the situation for Kenny McLean who, in a similar situation this time last year, maybe almost going to have to sacrifice himself a little bit and maybe go in there and play with Shiri or with Tanzi. Because having a player like Christie, with, as Richard said, the, the weight of the pass, just Stuart and Mackay Stephen just laid on a plate for them. You can just see him, him Stuart, Mackay Stephen, if they're in that kind of form, opening up defences in the SPFL comfortably. Um, but we shouldn't take away from Greg Stewart as well that that finish on his right foot was superb, and all about his left foot, but especially after missing that chance on his right foot earlier, to have the confidence to bury that one, um, that'll do him the world of good as well. Christie certainly has to play the 10 role for the next few games at least. But, you know, it's good to have a squad with a lot of options, with a lot of guys will be chomping on the bit to fill that uh, spot should, he, should his form tail off. The other reason that Christie, I think, has to play the 10 role is because I don't think he's really got the discipline that McInnes is still going to require of those wide players, ultimately, as the season goes on, to be able to track back. Because I don't see too much signs of, uh, of a great movement from McInnes' favoured 4-2-3-1 setup. So that's another great away win in the books for Aberdeen in Europe. Post-match, I found it thought was very interesting. Um, Derek McInnes took the blame for what he decided as the lack of sharpness in the first leg. I did think it was very interesting he realised that we should have had another pre-season game. So just to kind of throw the question out there, Richard, is going straight into QR2 a hindrance for clubs like Aberdeen? Well, I think in some respects we'd have been better off from a sharpness point of view playing in the first qualifying round. But in the last couple of years, we've struggled to get through that round and you know we could easily have met we could actually have met Soroki Bujeg in that first qualifying round they would have been unseeded there albeit there's, uh, they've had the regionalisation and again this year for that round so to have the one less round to get through to reach the ultimate goal of the group stages is a good thing the players no doubt think it's a good thing to go in at, uh, the second qualifying round because they get an extra 10 to 14 days off so from those perspectives, it's it's probably a good thing. But yeah, Derek came out afterwards, admitted that we were um, away short in that first game, and um, away short for a fair degree of that uh, of that second game. In terms of putting another pre-season friendly in the books, they only take you so far, don't they? Friendly matches. So uh, you've just got to hope that come Thursday against Limassol, we're again that bit further on, and we're able to. It, sort of show our true selves from the start. But a point about the fact that we did go there and win, it's that's I think the first time in our history, in our European history, where after the first leg at home 
and we've been behind. Okay, it was just on away goals, but we were behind. That's the first time we've actually gone through. So that's that. That is an achievement, definitely. So that was Soroke Brijeg. Uh, we now have the third round qualifier against Apollon, Apollon Limassol to come at home this Thursday at Pataudry. Apollon are the Cypriot Cup winners. I've been for two years running as well. So now I'm no expert on the Cypriot League, but you know they clearly are clearly are no mugs. Now we've been but we've been very critical on this podcast today of. Jaden Stockley. So, we suppose we should really discuss a bit about the lineup after a, after a first half performance that that was less than remarkable. Does Nicky Maynard get a look in? Does Adam Rooney get his place back? Yeah, it was a pretty telling first substitution. I thought on Thursday that he put Maynard on before Rooney, and then Rooney's job was come on, punted on the left left wing to see things out. Am I reading it too much into that, or is that maybe a sign of things to come that's going to be more of a uh, Rooney role this season, especially if he's still looking in, bringing another striker? Uh, it's been a bit quiet on the Molt front in the past few days. And, yeah, well, I certainly hope that Stockley doesn't start on Thursday, but whether he goes Maynard, whether he goes Rooney, I think he might be edging towards Maynard after that substitution. The, the big thing for me about Thursday is we we have to we have to win against a decent team at home in Europe. I think, I think Richard, you said last week, three times we've won in the past few years at home. So that must have been Daugava, uh, Ventspils and Fola Esch. We have, we have to turn up and beat a decent team at home in Europe. Um, okay, I'd, I'd maybe, you'd be happy to take a clean sheet and nil-nil possibly, but as I said last week, we can't keep leaving it on the away games to, to pull a rabbit out of the hat kind of job. So that, the big thing for me is finally get a win. It's going to be a big crowd. And as long as Stockley isn't playing, then I'm, I'm going to be fairly fairly confident. I think in terms of who plays up front, I think we're going to have to defer to the manager who watched, uh, not personally watched these sides perhaps, but have seen footage of these sides, got scouting reports of Apollon, and it will be the striker who he believes can do uh, the job for us on, on Thursday night. But the, the point about the home form is absolutely critical. If we're going to trouble the, the business end of these qualifying rounds, we have to get our home form has to improve, you can't keep going to the well away from home and hoping to turn it round we were very close obviously in Maribor last year in a similar situation uh, and we, we did the job in the Brijeg and that's a great uh, ability to have, to be able to, to go to these reasonable venues I mean Brijeg had only lost uh, a couple of times at home domestically over the past couple of years so it was a, it was a good win but I would have been much happier if the Scotland had been reversed and we'd won 2 0 at home and uh, set things up for a, for a quiet little 1 1 draw away from home. Absolutely. So it really would make our lives a whole lot easier if we can uh, get this, this home form together. And uh, of course, they're going to be of a reasonable quality. They've got a, a good degree of European experience, both four years ago and five years ago. They qualified for the Europa League group stages. And very, very impressive wins in the playoff rounds to get there. Last few years, it's been a bit more patchy. And their level, like ours over the past three years, has been that third qualifying round. So we, we go into this. We are certainly on paper in terms of the seeding. And in terms of their European experience, probably the underdogs. And that's a role that I don't think uh, we, we, we should mind. They will think they can get through. We think we can get through. It's got the makings of a good tie.
I think it's important that you mentioned there to, to take advantage of playing at home first as well. I mean, I think it is a, it is definitely an advantage having that chance to go away with a, a good win behind, behind under our belts. We're recording this on the Sunday, um, the day of um, Aberdeen playing Brecon in a friendly, and I'm looking at the lineups just now there as well. Kari Arneson starting the, starting a game, so because he's now available, that will allow us to wildly speculate about the lineup and if uh, where and if he will start Grant. So, what what what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, just one more point I'd add about the home advantage is well, another thing that's massively about the home advantage in this tie is that Apollo and Limassol aren't playing at home in their leg. They're playing Larnaca. Okay, yeah, they played there in their in the previous round, but but that, that's something we really have to take advantage of. In terms of, yeah, the the rest of the lineup, Arneson playing today, yeah, no idea how fit he is. He's That'll do, the, do him good, obviously, playing to, today in the friendly, but it has to come up with what the manager sees in training in the game. If if he was fit, I would I would have to say I'd like to see him start ahead of O'Connor. One thing that Shiroki did identify was this: the real weakness I think he has is the ball over the top, and when he's when he's running back towards his own goal, he just always looks so unsure and nervy. And okay, we got a clean sheet on Thursday, but I think just Arneson's experience, obviously his knowledge of Cypriot football, has to be some sort of advantage. And I think having somebody like Arneson, if he's fit, if he's ready, beside Reynolds, will bring the best back out of Reynolds as well. So I'd like to see Maynard Rooney up front, and I'd like to see, if fit, Arneson beside uh, O'Connor at the back. Uh, sorry, Arneson beside Reynolds at the back. It's going to be another big crowd at Pataudry so far. I mean, like I say, we recorded, we're recording this on the Sunday. Um, a lot of tickets sold already, Richard, so it should be another, great, another good European night. Yeah, the crowd do have a part to play, and I think if you look around Europe... Um, in the second uh, qualifying round, our crowd was probably the best. The seventeen thousand we took uh, to that game against Brigeg was probably it was the biggest that night. I have not seen the crowds for the second leg. In terms of these stages, the crowds in Scotland really do come out to to back uh, the teams. So we need to take advantage. We need to just as Grant says, get that win. Show we can uh, put to bed an experienced European side and have something and make life a bit easier for that second leg. But I'm looking forward to it. I, I always look forward to these European nights. Um, uh, there's just a, a wonderful otherness, a wonderful difference to the usual bread and butter league games. Yeah, It's a real chance, it really is. It's, it's a kind draw at this stage. I think the last two years we've had relatively kind draws as well and not necessarily made the, bo- uh, the most of them. And I'm just hoping that you know, with the evolution of this team, with the experience again, that that we can get at least one stage further and ideally uh, the group stage is obviously is the ultimate goal. And again, as I've said, as we said last year, this is McInnes' stated aim. It's a huge ask given how the seedings pan out and given how difficult it is to start from those early qualifying rounds with only 22 places available. But if you're going to set this as a target, you don't want to fall you know, two rounds short. Bad enough falling, falling at the last qualifying stage. But going out in QR3 is for what would be the fourth year running would, I think, be a big disappointment for those at Pataudry. Yeah, I have to echo that. I mean, I'm looking, really looking forward to this as well. I mean, Grant, playing in Europe is what Aberdeen do. Um, so this should be, this should be another, another really good opportunity for us, isn't it? Yeah, and as Richard said, we have the experience now. We can't fall back on the need a bit more time. It's so similar to the Kairat games, so similar to the Maribor games. Both teams will be thinking it's a good draw. Both teams will be thinking they can win. It's up to us to actually use that experience and to do the job. And hopefully 
it was such a relief and another thing getting through after Rangers and just St Johnson getting knocked out it would be even worse if we'd gone through so I just uh, hope the BBC don't preview the game by saying we're just one goal away from getting knocked out of Europe yeah, some sh- some shameful journalism by someone, an unnamed reporter on the BBC website. There, I noticed. Well, well that's them. Um, that's our podcast for this week. We'll wrap that up. I really hope if you're able in Aberdeen, you're able to get to the game on Thursday. Um, let's get on there. Let's try and pack out Petodri as much as we can. If you can't get along, we'll have a minute by minute report on the website. All it remains is for me to thank our guest today. Uh, a big thanks to Richard Hay. Thanks, Martin. And a big thanks to Grant Fiskin. Thank you very much, Grant. Cheers, Martin. I've been Martin Clunas. Once again, we're going to be playing in Europe this week. Come on, you Reds.